But I thank you because you've taken on three of our young students and you are letting them get their feet wet in preaching. And I know that you will take care of them and you have taken care of them and they will be blessed by being a part of your community. So thank you. Also, I want to thank Randy for your thoughts for the Lord's Supper this morning because the topic we're going to deal with this morning is the Lord's Supper. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. But this is a topic that's been going around in my head for quite some time, trying to figure out a little bit of what this is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to do, why we do it. And so I began to do some research so that we've come up to, or I've come to believe that there's more hidden in the Lord's Supper than we often take, give it credit for. About, three, about two months ago, a month and a half ago, Tay and I had the opportunity to go up to Plymouth Rock. And that's where Thanksgiving started. And we went up there and it was a nice experience. Can you still hear me? It's a nice experience to see. But the more we were up there, the more we got to thinking about Thanksgiving. And this was right before Thanksgiving and now we're right after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is probably the most celebrated holiday in the U.S. Right? For how many of you, Thanksgiving is your biggest family holiday? Okay. And if I were to ask you, what are some of those memories or so, some of those great things about Thanksgiving, we might say, well, it's the cooler temperatures, which doesn't really affect Pecos much because it's pretty hot all the time. Um, or it might be just the time of sharing, the falls coming on. It may be a time that all of those school plays we had to go through and watch our kids over and over and over do those pageants. It may be football. It may be Dallas Cowboys. It may be Detroit. Or wherever it is, it may be football. But nobody can escape the fact that it's got to be about the meal, right? The turkey, the dressing, the sweet potatoes, and just having family together and being together. But what's so amazing about Thanksgiving, and I've, I've been with many different missionaries all over the world and many different expats, it doesn't matter where you find yourself in the world, you will try to make some sort of Thanksgiving tradition happen on that Thursday, no matter where you are. You may not have sweet potatoes, but you can make carrot souffle, which looks just like it. Okay? And so Thanksgiving begins to be about this, this awesome holiday that we face every year to remind us of how the country was founded or how it began in the beginning. Well, in Luke chapter 22, we're coming upon a time when the, when the Israelites or when the Jews at this time, especially in our context, Peter, James, or Peter and the disciples and Jesus, they're all coming upon this celebration. And they're coming upon the celebration of the Passover. And as they begin to prepare for this celebration of the Passover, they know that this is one of the most important holidays in the Jewish festivals. So much so that in, in Numbers it says if they did not take of the Passover, they could be cut off from the people. And here they are trying to figure out, it says in the beginning of Luke chapter 22, that the day is coming and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. It would be like the day of Thanksgiving, not having the turkey ready. Or not having the TV to watch sports. 
And they're trying to figure out what this is all about. And as they're trying to figure this all about, we come to the realization that they're probably going back in their minds as to when this all started. And if we go back to when this all started, we go back to the Genesis, I mean to Exodus chapter 12, when we see the people of Israel in Egypt in captivity. And they've gone through captivity for 400 plus years. Now they're coming to a place where Moses is about to free them. They've just seen nine plagues that have just beaten down the Egyptians. And there's a tenth plague about to happen. The tenth plague says this. About midnight, I will come into your midst and every firstborn of the land in Egypt shall die. And there will be a great wailing and a cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such as there's never been before and will never be again. And so the Israelites have just been given this is coming. And we know that, that God then speaks to Moses and he puts into place the Passover meal. But this Passover meal for them is going to be such, an, such a life-changing event, it's going to reorder their calendar from there on out because it becomes to be the first, first month of the year. It's such an important time that it's going to be the first month of the year that allows them to, re, to regularly figure it out every year. And in that preparation, they were supposed to take a lamb. And they took this lamb and they would take it into their homes and they would watch this lamb for anywhere from three to five days. And it would be in their home and they would make sure that this lamb was perfect in every way. That it had no malformations, it was not sick. And I can just imagine, if it were my kids, they'd be like, after about two or three days, they'd be like, can we keep him? And the dad has to say, no, this lamb's not for us. And so after they keep him for a few days, they look to see if he's the perfect sacrifice. Then they take him to the temple or they take him to uh, their, the, where the place to be sacrificed. And they're going to slaughter this lamb in place of the family. And they collect the blood. When they collect the blood, they go home and they paint their doorpost and the lentils on their doors. It's interesting that in the time of Jesus, a historian writes that there were probably about 250,000 lambs sacrificed on one day. But what's even more amazing is that even though there was 250, it never refers to them as multiple, but as a single lamb, the Passover lamb. So now they go back and they've got their doors painted. They're ready to go and they, they have to sit and eat this meal. They're supposed to roast it. There's all kinds of specific things about it. But they're supposed to roast this, this lamb, eat this meal, and they're eating this meal standing up with their staff in hand and as fast as they can eat it. And it's got bitter herbs. Because that night, they're going to be kicked out of Egypt after this takes place. But as they're eating, they stay in their house because this destroyer is coming upon Egypt. So as they're getting ready and they're thinking about what's going on with this Passover, their minds are racing, trying to get it all together. 
they finally, Jesus finally sends them off to find somebody in the town in Jerusalem so that they can celebrate the Passover and just go find a guy who's carrying a water jug. They follow him. He's got a place for them. And they all come together and they sit down and have this meal together. And as they're going through the meal, I can see them going back to those moments and trying to remember what this meal actually means to them. Have you ever thought about that, about the Lord's Supper and how this meal means something to us? So they're going to go back in time in their minds with Jesus there present. And they're going to go back and they're going to look at the fact that this is the meal that represents that God is the true God. Because God had destroyed all the Egyptian gods with the plagues. Even Ra, the sun god, and even Pharaoh himself, who was the supreme god, could not stand up against God. So when they would take the Passover, they remembered that God, Yahweh, Jehovah, was the one true God. But as they also took it, they could look, the, the, even the disciples could look at the, the doorpost and they could see the blood on the doorpost and they were reminded as they took it that it was about the power that was in that blood. Because God has said he's going to send the destroyer. And the blood on the doorpost will hold that destroyer back from going in. God said he's going to come and he's going to destroy every firstborn. But the only thing that saves the Israelites from the destruction of this destroyer coming in was not the fact that they were Israelites, but it was the fact that the blood was shed on their doorposts. So they were skipped over or passed over in that process. But they also remember that they were enslaved before and after this they're set free. So as they're going through this process of this idea of, of this meal that they're eating, not only is it that God is God, not only that it is the blood frees them, there, uh, the, the blood is powerful, but it's also the fact that the slavery has ended. But as they take this and they eat this meal, there was one other component that was the bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs were to remind them of their suffering in Egypt was to remind them of their suffering in Egypt, but also is incorporated into the meal to remind them that the suffering is not the end of the story. It wasn't the end of the story. Even 400 plus years of slavery is not the end of the story because God frees them and they're headed to the promised land. So they've gone through this whole process and they've got, it's a very intricate meal that they, they were, would have done with Jesus. But just at the time when they began to really reminisce, Jesus comes in or he's sitting with them and he says in verse 14, he says, I've earnestly longed to eat this meal or this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. For 1,500 years, this meal was all about the past. It was all about what God had done in the past and they had celebrated it time and time again. 
And now Jesus is going to change the perspective of the Passover. And that's what he says in verse 19. When he says in verse 19, he says, And he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the supper. I mean, after the supper, he took the cup. And the cup is my blood that is poured out for you. Okay, I want you to try to understand something. These disciples have been taught for all of their life, every bit of their life in the history for 1,500 years, this is all about Egypt. It's all about Egypt. And Jesus says, no, it's not. He says, even though you didn't see it, there's more that meets the eye to this Passover. Because I'm bringing you into the present of my sacrifice before God. I can just see the <laughs> Peter and James and John and the, they're like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about that this is about you? Because it doesn't make any sense. It's about the old, right? And he's like, no, it's about me. So Jesus, teaching his disciples that the Passover was not about the Passover then, it's about the Passover now. And we know that when they start kind of getting a, gra a grasp on this idea, they can remember back to what John said. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, when he looks out and he sees Jesus, he says, and behold, there's the Lamb of God. Automatically, they're like, wait a minute. John said there's the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Okay, so their eyes start to open a little bit. And so they began to see that Jesus is that Passover Lamb. And we could go into all kinds of details about the comparison, but I don't have time for that. But we also know that Paul, thinking back about this moment and even talking about Jesus in, in chapter five, in 1 Corinthians 5 or 7, he says, and Jesus, or Christ, is our Passover lamb that has, that has been sacrificed. It's not about 1,500 years of thinking about the past. It's about thinking about the present. And Jesus has changed that. So what has Jesus told them? What has Jesus told them about, the Lord's, about this new supper or this refocusing of the supper? He says, first off, Jesus is the lamb. First off, Jesus is the body that is broken. Jesus is the one who's going to give himself up for them. And Jesus is the one who's going to bring about their slavery. The end of their slavery. Just like the Lamb of old was a symbol of Jesus, He is now going to be that one because we know from Romans chapter 6, verse 5, that if we are joined with Him in baptism, we are raised anew and the power of sin no longer controls us. And that's because a lamb was sacrificed. Not the lamb of the old, but the lamb of the new. And so we see that the sin no longer has power over them. So when they're now looking at the Lord's Supper and we see that they took that over and over and over again every Sunday after that from there on out, is that they're realizing, wait a minute, this is what brings us freedom from sin. It's not freedom from bondage of slavery. It's freedom from bondage of sin. 
But they also know that as they take this, because they watched it and they took, and when he was sacrificed, that he didn't stay in the tomb. Because Acts 2, 24 says, And God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep him in his grasp. Jesus' sinless body and sinless living on this earth was the triumph over Satan. So not only do they understand that now that their freedom comes from Jesus, but also that Jesus has overcome Satan's ability to hold them in death. So the lamb frees them, or Jesus is the lamb that frees them and conquered death. But then he says, the cup is part of the new covenant. We know in Hebrews chapter 8, when God talks about it, it's not going to be like the old covenant, verses 10 and following. It's not going to be like the old covenant. It's going to be like a new covenant. And in this new covenant, I will be their God and they will be my people. And I will take their sins and I will wash them away and I will, I will not even remember them anymore. And that when we take the Lord's Supper and the covenant, it's to remind us that presently we are freed or we are forgiven and we are loved and we are cherished by God. Because Jesus is the mediator of that new covenant through his blood. And the power still remains in the blood. The power still remains in the sacrificial blood because Peter says that you have been bought by the blood of Christ, which is greater than anything that is perishable. So the blood's the covenant, and it's a reminder. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, every time you take of this, you remember his death until when? Until he comes again. So just like this meal that we take, this moment of celebration we take, not only reminds us of freedom or power of, death, of Jesus as the Lamb, it, it brings about the new covenant, but it also says that our suffering is not, a, not the end. Our life is not the end. The story's not over. Jesus' ministry on earth was very important. But it wasn't the end of His ministry because His ministry ends when He comes back for us in the future. So we have this celebration that we take every Sunday. Now we could go off and study why we do it every Sunday, but we know that it was something that was given to them. They did it every Sunday. But we also know that it was an invitation to sit at the marriage supper of the Lord. And that's how John describes it in Revelation chapter 19. So we have this opportunity to partake in the supper. So my question is, so why? Why? Why celebrate? Why did the Jews only need it once a year and we're expected and required and part of that is to do it every Sunday? So what? Why is it important for us to take the Lord's Supper? Well, I think the first reason, and Randy and I were talking about this, I don't know, last night or this morning, is because we're forgetful, we're forgetful people. I am a very out of sight, out of mind person. If I didn't have my calendar on my phone to remind me of most of my appointments, I would probably forget them. 
So God invites us every Sunday to remember what He has done for us today in our spiritual life. Even though He did it 2,000 years ago, it's a reminder of today how we are before God. Romans 6, 7 says we're set free. Romans, uh, or 2 Corinthians 5.18 says we're reconciled and we're made new. Hebrews 10 says we have a high priest and we have confidence to enter into the presence of God. Every time we take, we're reminded of all these things that God has done for us. So my challenge to you is don't just take it and move on. Go back and remember and make a list and make, a, make a, a, a whole sheet of all the things that God has done for you because I'm, you can fill up a whole sheet and take those moments of the Lord's Supper to remember those things that God has done for you. Currently, currently has done for you. But there's another reason that we take it every Sunday. And I think the second reason we take it every Sunday is because it is a moment in our life. It is a moment in our life that it helps us shift the focus off of me. The more time we spend around the Lord's Supper, the more time we spend our time thinking about what God has done, the more we learn about the character of God or the character of Jesus. And we know that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And so when we take of the Lord's Supper, when we, when we spend our time together around God's table, we are allowed because God moves in us and we, are in the, and we focus on something besides ourselves. It takes a moment and it takes us out of that tunnel vision of self to open our eyes, to know that it's about the body. It's about others who need serving. It's about others who, who may be suffering. And you see that in 1 Corinthians too. It's about the time that we share together in that process so that we are not consumed with me, my, but we're consumed with it's the Lamb of God who died for mankind and not ourselves. But there's a third reason. There's a third reason that I think that we are called to celebrate and partake of the marriage feast of God every Sunday. And if we look back in John chapter 11, we see that... that Mary and Martha are frustrated and, and because Jesus didn't come quick enough for Lazarus to live and he died. And Jesus tells Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will know. And then we also know that just a few days later, maybe a week or two later, depending on the timeline, is that Jesus also died. And he realized that after three days, he rose again. And they went in and they saw that he was not there. And then they're standing 40 days later. They're standing in the presence of, of Jesus. And they look at Jesus. And all of a sudden, the clouds start taking him up. And the angels tell him, well, he's going to come back again. And John sees a vision in Revelation. 
And he says, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain. It shows us, as we spend time around the Lord's Supper, it shows us that this is not the end. Because as we take of the covenant and we take of the bread, it shows us and reminds us that Jesus is alive. And he's coming back to take us home. So as we gather around the table, we declare and we proclaim that our suffering on earth is not the end of the story. It helps us understand and realize that as we take this meal, that we realize that this world is not our home. We're just passing through to get to where we need to be. Because our true supper, starting here, but is the communion with the God Almighty. And that's what he wants us to remember every Sunday. Now, he wants us to remember that all the time. But once a week, we get to come and sit around a table that reminds us not to forget what Jesus did for us as the Lamb of God. But it reminds us as well to shift our focus off of me and focus on others and God and the body. And it also helps us claim the hope that this life is not over and it won't be over until he comes again. Even though we may die, this is not the end. And that's what a communion around the table is all about. So the invitation that God puts before us every Sunday is to come and share the Lord. If you need the congregation, if you need to get right with the Lord, if you've never been in, entered into that presence of God through, through your salvation and baptism, God's saying, come and share the Lord. Do not hesitate to come as we stand and sing.